This is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I wanted to invite our listeners, who we call Mavericks, to the Renew Energy Holiday Party. It'll be on Thursday, December 5th, from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. in Hudson Hall in Jersey City. We'll also be celebrating the 50th episode of the Solar Maverick Podcast, and we appreciate you making it one of the most popular podcasts in solar. The cost to attend the event is $10, and food will be served. Also, our co-hosts, for the podcast, Suzanne Waters and Lee Wang will also be there and some of the guests that we've interviewed on previous podcasts. We're going to have more information about the holiday party in the notes of the podcast, and I hope to see you at Hudson Hall on Thursday, December 5th. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I would like to thank Infinity Energy Services for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. You'll learn more about them during this episode. Thank you again to Infinity Energy Services. comparing a growth facility to a data center. And if you had solar on a data center, let's say the roof, it would not cover the needs of the electricity. This is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm excited to have Suzanne Waters, my co-host of this episode. We're actually covering a very interesting topic that a lot of companies have reached out to us. It's actually going to be solar on cannabis growth facilities. Suzanne, it's great to have you on the podcast again. Hey, Benoit. Thanks for having me back. I always enjoy co-hosting with you. Anytime. And this is actually your 10th episode on the podcast. I really appreciate you collaborating. How has it been? Actually, this time last year when this podcast episode came out, we did the first podcast interview. That was December of 2018. Can you believe it's already been 10 episodes that you've been on the podcast? No, actually, I can't. And you're right. It's, it was about a year ago. I think a year ago in October when we recorded the first one and then it got released like at the end of November, beginning of December, right, right before the holiday party. But I've actually really enjoyed podcasting. I think that I've gotten better as my episodes progress. I think you just get used to the idea of hearing your own voice back and just speaking, knowing that an audience is going to be listening to what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I know I've been obviously interviewed a lot of people on the Solar Maverick podcast. And it's been interesting because I think Suzanne, out of all the people that have contributed to this show, the first episode that I interviewed, she had a lot of hesitations and questions. And it was funny because after the first interview that we did, she's like, when's the next one? And then episodes. And it's been amazing. I mean, we've gotten a lot of great feedback on the episodes that Suzanne does on the podcast. She's the Vice President of Business Development and Renew Energy. And I appreciate everything you do with Renew Energy in this podcast. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Benoit. I'm, I appreciate you allowing me to do all of this stuff. And it's not to be, no pun intended, but you get energized like after you're done recording a podcast. And so you're, yeah, you're like ready to do the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I was also going to say, speaking, we just brought up um, last year's holiday party. I was just going to let everybody know that we're actually having the 2019 Renew Energy Holiday Party this year, Thursday, December 5th at Hudson Hall in Jersey City. And that's going to be from 6 to 9 p.m. for those of you that want to come out and celebrate. Yeah, definitely. It's a great event. You know, our listeners who we call Mavericks, we get to meet you guys and a lot of people within the solar industry come as well. Suzanne, who's our co-host, will be 
there and Lee Wang as well, and some of the guests we've also interviewed in Scrape Networking. I'm also one of the owners of Hudson Hall. We'll have like an Eventbrite link on the notes of the podcast to register. It's $10 to attend the event. There'll be, you know, plenty of food at the event. So please come hungry. Yeah, that was, we had a really good time last year. So yeah, and it must have been surreal for you too, Suzanne. If you remember, someone actually was Sean Barwin from CBL Markets recognized you from hearing your voice from the podcast and said, are you Suzanne? Was that surreal to you? It was surreal. And I wasn't sure if I should take that as a compliment or not, because I personally, I'm getting more forgiving with myself, but I hate the sound of my own voice. So I was hoping that somebody that recognized my voice didn't have that same negative association (laughs) that I have. But um, yeah, it was, I guess, surreal is a good way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah, And Suzanne, I think, has a great voice for podcasting. (laughs) Oh, anytime. And, you know, we actually had her moderate to our first podcast live event that we had back in July. And it was a podcast episode at the end of the August House Solar technology is changing the world. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, you know, definitely check it out. Yeah. And I was also going to say, if you'd like to hear more of this voice co-hosting with Benoy on our podcast, and you have any specific topics that you'd like us to cover, you can reach out to me via email and just, you know, give us some thoughts or any questions that we could then answer on a podcast as well. My email address is Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E at renewenergy.com. And Renew is R-E-N-E-U. So Suzanne at RenewEnergy.com. No, definitely. So, you know, we're always trying to think of topics. People reach out to us all the time. We actually interviewed someone who's a solar maverick and a fan of the show. And she actually reached out to Suzanne, you know, that she really enjoys the podcast. Her, her name is actually Allison Roars. And her podcast episode came out two weeks before this one. So it's like the middle, I think it's the first week of November. And she talks about permitting and her passion for renewable energy and sustainability. That's been a part of her life. And it's a really interesting listen. So she asked also that she wanted to be on the podcast. And then I met with her actually at Solar Power International in Salt Lake City. Her company had a get together and it was great to meet her and get her feedback. And then a day later, interview her for the podcast. Yeah. So that's always fun too, when our listeners actually can then be a part of the show. So yeah. And she was so excited about it. So it was great to have her and she really, it's called permitting 101. So she, you know, talks about uh, permitting and solar. So it's a really good episode if you have to listen to it. Actually, speaking of previous episodes, Benoit, I was just going to use this opportunity to give a slight update on the Community Solar New Jersey episode that we did. That was episode 51. You and I co-hosted. There's just some updates from the BPU regarding the Community Solar Pilot Program. So the BPU announced that it's received over 250 applications for the first year of its three-year Community Solar Energy Pilot Program the programming, which earmarks 40% of overall program capacity for projects serving low and moderate income households, is an important component of Governor Murphy's clean energy agenda, which he has set to reach 100% clean energy by 2050. The 250 applications represent more than 650 megawatts of total capacity, which is obviously showing that the public is extremely excited about this. But while you and I were talking prior to this, I think they have it capped at just 75 megawatts for the first year, correct? Yes, that's correct. So obviously, it's been a record amount of applications that they received. The BPU mentioned in this press release that Suzanne is reading that there obviously is a high interest from developers to develop community solar projects 
in New Jersey. And then this is leading to the governor's sustainability goal of having 100% renewables in New Jersey by 2050. Also, with this community solar pilot, they're trying to have 40% of it be low moderate income. So it's a huge opportunity where people who would not normally be able to afford solar will be getting solar. So it's really exciting for New Jersey coming about its community solar project. And basically, it's a three-year pilot. The first year application closed in September of 2019. We actually did this community solar New Jersey pilot. We taped it actually in August, so we didn't have this information. And then we released that episode last week, which was basically the third week of October. The pilot basically is, as I said, it's three years, year one. The application process ended September. The BPU basically released press release about that. And then they're going to have another next year, year two of the 75 megawatts and application process where there's going to be 75 megawatts in September of next year. I'll just, I guess, finish, continue reading just a little bit about the way they're reviewing applications. That would be awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So obviously they're first going to assess all of the applications for administrative completeness. And then the applications are going to get scored based on evaluation criteria. A couple of those criteria that they're going to be looking for are low and moderate income and environmental justice inclusion, and then siting, project site. They're going to be giving priority to landfills, brownfields, areas of historic fill, rooftops, parking lots, and parking decks. And then it says here that they're going to be giving bonus points for landscaping, land enhancement, pollination support, stormwater management, soil conservation, and decommissioning plans. So basically, these projects have to receive at least 30 points to be considered for participation. And then, as you'd probably assume, because there were so many applications, projects receiving more than they required 30 points will then be awarded capacity in order, starting with the highest scoring project down to the lowest scoring. So that's exciting news for New Jersey's Community Solar Pilot Program. Definitely. And just too, as well, if the Mavericks are not familiar with the New Jersey program, really right now, like the state level incentive in New Jersey is a solar renewable energy credit. That basically represents one megawatt hour of solar energy. They have a carve out for solar and basically it's an environmental commodity that currently trades in the energy year 2020, which is the current energy year because it starts actually in June of 19 to May of 2020. And it's currently at 200 and maybe $33 per megawatt hour per SREC. That basically translates to 23 cents per kilowatt hour. To give you an idea, um, a commercial industrial customer probably pays 12 to 14 cents per kilowatt hour. So it's almost double like their cost of electricity. But New Jersey is actually sunsetting the SREC program. Basically, when solar reaches 5.1%, they're basically going to end the program. And then there's basically going to be a transition program. What we're thinking is that this, and based on people we talk to in the industry, we think that this SREC incentive program is going to end in February or March of 2019. What we're seeing is people are actually racing to build their projects to make sure to be qualified under the original SREC incentive. So for these community solar projects, we're not really sure what the incentive is going to be because we think that the approval for these projects are going to happen late. So that's going to take a few months. And then obviously to go through the whole process of developing it, we're not really sure yet what the new incentive is going to be. So there is a little bit of stability because we're not really sure how to value these projects. And it'll be interesting to see what the new incentive is, the transition program. And we're actively part of SIA, which is the National 
trade lobbying group trying to help with getting a strong incentive program for New Jersey in this transition program. We're also a member of MSSIA, which is the Mid-Atlantic Solar and Storage Industry Association. So we're actively working on the lobbying effort to make sure that New Jersey is a robust market, which it has been for solar. It's actually the number seven ranked state from solar. So people are usually surprised, but that's due to high energy cost and also strong state-level incentives. So we'll keep you, the Mavericks, updated on the New Jersey community solar market, but we wanted to give you an update on that. It was a very thorough update. Thank you, Maria. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to talk about how we've also started interviewing people on the podcast that aren't necessarily just in the solar industry, but also entrepreneurs in general? Yeah, definitely. So obviously, the Solar Maverick podcast is about solar and entrepreneurship. We actually interviewed the first person who was not in the solar industry, but is a very accomplished entrepreneur. It was with Tiffany Pham, who's the CEO and founder of Mogul. And that was episode 45 of the podcast. She actually has basically, it's a platform that helps Fortune 500 companies find women candidates. They actually had the biggest millennial conference in September in New York. I was actually the dean of the hustle track. And it was basically a day of different people teaching you how to be your best self. I guess that's the easiest way. Susie Orman, who is known as like the financial guru of personal finance. She was one of the keynote speakers. I actually had the opportunity to speak with her and meet her in the speaker's lounge. And we had a great conversation because she's actually an investor in Mogul. So as I, and we were talking about her TV show. Surprisingly, like Tiffany actually gave suggestions on how to become better and increase your productivity. That's actually now one of our top podcasts actually for the Solar Maverick podcast. And it's purely someone not in the solar industry. So we're actually going to have more interviews with successful entrepreneurs and learn about their story. We actually have one coming up and it's actually related to this podcast that we're doing. It's episode 54 of the Solar Maverick podcast. It's the cannabis industry overview and how solar can be incorporated at cannabis growth facilities. And it's with Steve and Mishka, who are the founders of MMD Shops. If you don't know MMD Shops, they're one of the first medical and recreational cannabis dispensaries in California. And we do have some other guests who are extremely successful entrepreneurs. And Mishka and Steve tell us about their story and suggestions on being successful entrepreneurs. And also their view of how solar can be incorporated into cannabis. Yeah. So the reason why... Did we already say in the beginning of this is what our episode today is about? Solar and grow facilities? I think we said, right? Yes, so the reason why we're talking about this topic, other than it being of high interest to many, many people, really with like prohibition kind of coming to an end. The reason why we're talking about this is it's a huge growth area in the solar industry, especially as cannabis gets legalized in more and more states throughout the U.S. Yes, and uh, Renew Energy, like we're based in Jersey City, New Jersey, and San Diego, California. So we've been getting a lot of people reaching out to us about putting solar on their growth facilities. If you don't know, cannabis is legal, both medical and recreational in California and New Jersey. They're thinking legalizing cannabis. And so... Recreationally, it's already legal medically, right? Yeah, that's correct. Thanks for correcting me. You're welcome. Um, on that. And, and a lot of New Jersey potential growth facilities have reached out to us about incorporating solar. If you don't know, you know, cannabis uses a lot of energy, especially indoor. And the way we're actually Renew Energy is different from other developers. We believe that solar is not the only solution, that it's a multi-pronged 
solution to reduce your energy usage first through LED lighting, energy efficiency, third-party energy supply, and then also as well, solar energy. So, And then we've actually heard from a lot of people that they would like us to cover this topic. In the solar industry, really, this hasn't been talked about. And this is definitely going to be a big growth area for solar in the future. All right, Bonnie, so are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I would like to thank our sponsor of this episode of the podcast, Infinity Energy Services, which is a turnkey solar development company with a focus on origination of opportunities between Maine and Virginia. They use their ability to structure financing and EPC projects as value add with their partners. To learn more about Infinity, go to their website, www.infinityenergyservices.net, or contact Tom Laredo, who's the Director of Project Origination, His number is 732-370-2446. I also interviewed Michael Kushner, who's the president of Infinity Energy Services on episode 49 of the Solar Maverick podcast. Thank you again to Infinity Energy Services for sponsoring the podcast. So Suzanne, do you want to talk about the growth of the legal cannabis industry? Yeah, I'll read. Was this also from Solar Power World Online? This one, this is just about just the facts. Okay. So global spending on legal cannabis is expected to grow 230% to $31.3 billion in 2022 compared to 9.5 billion in 2017, according to ArcView market research and BDS analytics. The research suggests that most of that nearly 23.4 billion will be spent in the US. Those are just incredible numbers. They are. So that really shows you like, for example, in the Northeast, there's a lot of talk about legalizing cannabis, both recreational and throughout the country. So it's definitely something that everyone should be aware of the growth opportunities in cannabis, obviously. So it's exciting to see. Obviously, it's still illegal. Federally, a lot of states have decriminalized possession of marijuana. They've actually done that in Jersey City and in New Jersey as well. The reason, too, you're seeing a lot of legalization of marijuana, too, by states is an additional form of tax revenue. And that's really helped like Colorado and California for legalizing recreational, that they've been able to lower their debt and bring in more tax revenue because of cannabis. Do you want me, I can go on and read the excerpt from Solar Power World. This is from Solar Power World Online, which we're actually going to have a link to this article in the notes to the podcast, right? Okay, so this article is by Kelly Pickerel, again, from Solar Power World Online. The article is called, Can Solar Help the Legal Marijuana Growing Industry? And so again, I'm just going to be reading from this article. Indoor grow houses require an incredible amount of electricity to power artificial lighting, fans, dehumidifiers, water pumps, and many more elements, all hours. Large-scale marijuana grows can be separated into three categories. There's indoor, outdoor, and mixed light. Outdoor cannabis agriculture still requires some electricity, although the plants are open to sunshine. Mixed light grows are equivalent to familiar greenhouses needing fans and other temperature controls to produce a harvestable crop. Indoor agriculture has no windows and it's 100% artificially lit, requiring a tremendous amount of electricity. The stages of cannabis growth are seed, vegetation, and flower. Seeds or clones typically need 24 hours of light for up to four weeks before stems and leaves arrive, which is the vegetative growth. And then up to five weeks of 18-hour days of light are needed to pass into the flowering stage. Flowers only need 12 hours of light each day to invoke a circadian response for blooming. Flowering lasts 60 days and then the plant is ready to harvest. 
So as you can imagine, the amount of artificial lighting used during certain stages produces a lot of heat in greenhouses and indoor grows, so air conditioners keep everything temperature controlled. Cannabis plants produce water vapor during growth, so dehumidification systems keep climates regular as humidity-induced mold can destroy crops. Add in irrigation systems and CO2 injection to help feed plants, and it's obvious to see the 24-7 electricity needs of indoor and mixed light grow operations. According to a widely cited 2012 independent research report by Evan Mills, a typical indoor marijuana grow room has the same power density, 200 watts per square foot, as a data center. HVAC, dehumidification, and ventilation makes up to 50% of a grow's electricity load, and lighting accounts for over 33%. But anyway, when I first read these articles, I could not believe that was all the energy that went into actually growing cannabis indoors. Yeah, I think people are surprised and I was surprised as well when I read these articles and it's pretty amazing like the electricity usage that these grow facilities have. So Compared to a data center, that's unbelievable. The data center, which is shocking actually. I don't think people realize that the huge electricity usage that's required which is amazing. Yeah, definitely. The data center, which you would never think. No, that I was just stunned when I read that. But I mean, it, it makes sense, right? These 24-hour operations for these long periods of time just to get the, the plants to where they need to be. I'll go on and read another article from desertsun.com. Is that all right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Mike Rowe is the vice president of MSA Consulting, a Rancho Mirage civil engineering firm that's worked with cannabis cultivation businesses on permitting, site design, and other planning needs. He said indoor cannabis cultivation facilities generally use about 25 times what a standard industrial development may need. Sophisticated indoor grow facilities deploy climate control systems to keep the temperature consistent and humidity in check. The facilities often have ventilation systems and large overhead fans that frequently run to control airflow. Perhaps most crucially, plants need extensive lighting systems to replicate the sun's intensity. Bulbs can run for 12 to 18 hours a day depending on what point in the life cycle the plant is at. The benefit of the tightly controlled indoor environment is a carefully crafted product that's been spared the wild cards of weather and pests, ultimately yielding a better output. So that's the end of that article, but I was just giving my input here. I think, okay, right. So if it costs so much to run one of these indoor operations, is it really worth it? And yeah, I mean, you know, you're yielding a better product, which is going to give you better revenue. Yeah, that's why people are, are keeping it indoor. Obviously, they're greenhouses. There's, you could obviously have it outside as well. And a certain percentage as cannabis gets legal will move to greenhouses and planting it outside because obviously before they were worried about getting arrested. But obviously, in an indoor environment, you could produce a better output. So people like the certainty that you would have with that. And obviously with that comes high electricity usage. You know, most people in the cannabis industry are about obviously using less electricity and obviously renewable forms of electricity. I actually toured a growth facility recently. Well, I guess in September, actually a company called MMD Shops, if you don't know them, they're one of the biggest cannabis dispensaries in Southern California, but they also in their uh, Los Angeles cannabis dispensary also have a growth facility there. And they gave me actually a tour of it. Uh, Steve and Mishka, as I mentioned, are on the podcast, MD Shops. It's episode, I think it's 54 of the podcast. So check it out because they do talk about the cannabis industry and solar and how much electricity is needed. But what kind of blew me away is that the growth facility was actually really small, but how many like light bulbs that were there and then the ballast, there's like one side of the wall where there are so many different ballasts. I don't even remember like the exact number, 
but really that how much power that it was needed to grow it was amazing and they actually had to get approval from like the utility company to build a separate like electricity pole to basically tie in directly into the grid because they have huge electricity usage so it was interesting because I've read all these articles but then for me to actually then go to the a grow facility which is actually considered a microbrewery that's the term that they use I don't know if you're familiar with the microbrewery but it's not like a regular brewery. This is a very small growth facility. It's not even a normal growth facility. And they were telling me like how much they pay in electricity. And I don't remember it on the top of my head, but it was mind-blowing, especially to California. It's obviously very expensive. And then they had the retail as well in the same building. And actually, it's interesting. They offer a tour of the growth facility. And it's actually become very popular since our recreational cannabis has become legal. They actually have a tour of their facility. And it's actually, if you're interested in learning more, we'll have this as well on the notes of the podcast. It's actually called greentours.com. And the past year that basically recreational was legal in California last year, these cannabis tours, and they basically have a Hollywood cannabis tour, which has become very popular. And then it's at MMD Shops Grove Facility, and then their dispensary, which is in that same building. And actually, too, Tommy Chong, who's a celebrity, is as well part of the tour on special days. He's there for the tours as well and talking about his experience. He was basically, yeah, Tommy Chong of Chi Chi Chong. It was a 70s show and he's a unique celebrity in cannabis. And he basically provides a glimpse into the Los Angeles cannabis culture. And with this tour, which is with MMD shops, you can see the grow facility, dispensary, get retail discounts, CBD infused appetizers. <laughs> I'm reading this. And once in a lifetime opportunity to hit the bomb with Tommy Chong. And you'll learn about his life, love and comedy from a true Hollywood icon. So this is a tour that you can't forget. And it's actually, if you go to greentours.com, you could learn more about it. It was interesting for me to tour the Grove facility. I learned a lot. Did you do this tour with Chong? No, I didn't do... Because he does it actually once a month. And actually, I had a better tour because I was actually with Steve and Mishka. We did the tour before I actually did the podcast interview. And they don't allow you actually to go past a certain limit. But I was actually in the Grove facility. You don't have that type of access. All close and personal with the plans. And close and personal with the plants and looking at quality control, them showing me like the details of the process. And it's interesting as well, because since it's legal, basically California, they track every plant that MMD shops is growing at the grow facility. So there's like a tag that's connected to it. So it's an interesting experience to actually see like a growth facility. It sounds very intricate, actually. I feel like there's a lot of details behind the scenes that you don't realize go into actually growing the plants, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can... There was a lot of information and obviously they've been doing this like since medical cannabis since 2005. And the whole process is pretty intricate, pretty complicated. Also, like that cannabis grow facility, MMD shop has their own cannabis that they make. And it's very popular. It's actually called the Skywalker OG. So they make that strain actually that is really popular, I guess, on the retail side for MMD shops at the growth facility. But it was amazing to see the different steps in the process. And I still, I feel like I have to understand it. I mean, obviously I just understand it from a very, very high level, but it's extremely like complicated. I didn't appreciate the complexity until they gave me 
the tour. Yeah, and I certainly didn't appreciate all of the... I'm still stuck on the amount of power that goes into running these facilities. I mean, I'm just going back to the last thing that you had said about the utility had to upgrade their power line for them to tie into the grid. That is a substantial amount of electricity being used. And if you go there, it's actually pretty small. The roof's not that big. It's you're in a city, right? It's inside, right? So you wouldn't know until you went in there. Obviously, it has MD shop, but how much electricity is used. And that's one of the challenges that actually we talk about in the interview with Steve and Mishka that, you know, even if they put like a carported system or rooftop, first of all, there's no land. It's in the middle of the city. It won't dent like electricity usage. But over time, as we continue to see like the efficiency of the panels are getting better, the panels are getting smaller in size. You're getting also bifacial panels where you could get panels on both sides. You know, for example, we were comparing a grow facility to a data center. And if you had solar on a data center, let's say the roof, it would not cover the needs of the electricity. So what's basically been happening, like obviously we've talked about this before, but Google, Amazon, Facebook are building these huge data centers and they want it to be 100% renewables. So what they've been doing is actually doing long-term contracting for solar projects and doing corporate PPAs and buying the solar off-site. And that's been their way of reaching 100% renewable energy goals. And I'm sure cannabis companies are going to want to do that as well. So that could be an opportunity where they sign up for 100% renewables by signing off-site corporate PPAs. If you actually want to learn more about corporate PPAs, we have two articles that I've written on renewable energy world and solar power world. Actually, not solar power world, but a different article. And we'll have the links to those in the notes of this podcast if you're interested in learning about corporate offsite PPAs. The other challenge too is that a lot of these cannabis companies are relatively new. So they don't have the credit to basically own the solar project or do these corporate PPAs because they want strong credit-worthy offtakes. But what we're seeing, there's more like publicly traded you know, cannabis companies that are out there. MedMen, which is a very popular cannabis company in, in Southern California, is actually traded on the Canadian Stock Exchange. There are some on the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ and over-the-counter. So over time, I think though we'll get over those issues with credit and maybe there's a way of creating some sort of financial instrument where you know, you're know you not as concerned with the credit history or offtake, or you could maybe find another customer to procure the power for the offsite PPA. And then obviously with energy storage as well, becoming more economical, that could be as well an opportunity. The ion technology the prices are going down exponentially like we saw in solar. So yes, that, a lot of- that does encompass a lot of different aspects of things we've talked about in previous podcasts, which is, I, it's all relative. So yeah, definitely. I, I was thinking when you were talking about referencing the corporate PPAs, that's such a detailed topic in and of itself. It is. Like if I start going into contract for differences and how these are structured, which, yeah, it's interesting because now all these different podcast episodes are relating to- Time to one another. Time. So tying into one another, the, the cannabis one's a unique opportunity with the industry that we're going to, you know, obviously try to figure out. And we think there's a huge opportunity and we want our listeners, the Mavericks, to, to know about it. Yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how these industries, solar and cannabis, they're both relatively new in their respective markets as they, some states are a little more experienced than others. Same, you know, with the cannabis, it'll just be interesting to see how they grow and progress. 
together, really complementing one another. Definitely. And both industries are growing exponentially and renewable energy and both will be growing for a very long time. So it'll be exciting to see over time. I mean, the incorporation of both of these industries coming together. Yeah. Really how they can fuel the other, right? Basically. Yeah. Or low cost renewable energy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. So very, very interesting topics. Looking forward. I know by the time this one comes out, this episode comes out, your episode with MMD will have already been out. But yeah, definitely looking forward to listening to that episode too. Again, I think this is cannabis. It's an interesting topic that people just want to know as much as they can about, especially with, you know, CBD being such a big industry in and of itself as well. Yeah. So definitely looking forward to talking more about these topics. So again, if anyone has any questions that you know, they want Benoit and I to address on the podcast, feel free to reach out to us via the emails provided. Do we have anything else, Benoit? Yeah, I think the other thing too is if you're looking potentially to put a growth facility where you are and want to look at renewable energy, specifically solar, you feel free to reach out to us. We have looked at other projects. The best way is either Suzanne at Renew Energy dot com that's r-e-n-e-u energy.com or info at renew energy.com and that's all i think that this is a lot of content i know it's a lot of information in a very short period of time you know please continue providing us feedback i want to make you know the podcast as valuable to the mavericks so all right so i'm going to (laughs) what suzanne how are we going to close out this podcast i know See, I always like to close out with my, I like to say Carpe Solum. We like to hashtag Carpe Solum on, you know, LinkedIn, on our other social media platforms. But for those of you that don't know Carpe Solum, it means seize the sun. So I just feel it's an inappropriate way to close out the podcast that I co-host. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Suzanne, on our 10th episode which is pretty much like 20% of the podcast. I appreciate you collaborating, providing your insight, and it's been an amazing journey, just the beginning. Yeah, thanks for having me, Benoit, and I'm excited to record my 11th episode. So, <laughs> Thank you. Hashtag Carpe Solum. Carpe Solum. Until next time, everybody. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I would like to thank Infinity Energy Services for sponsoring the podcast. If you would like to learn more about Infinity Energy Services, go to their website, which is www.infinityenergyservices.net or contact Tom Laredo, who's their director of project origination. His number is 732-370-2446. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at reneuenergy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangin and Kevin Y. Brown.